Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And, uh, you know, I I only turned out the last podcast a few days ago, and a couple things have just come up that I just want to uh, uh, really talk about, and, you know, some concerns I have, so I'm, I'm doing another one uh, rather quickly. Um, again, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can always leave them in the comments section on Podbean, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That's kbmakel at aol.com. So, uh, this is very troubling. Um, some of the commentators on like Fox News and other things have kind of brought this up, but, you know, a lot of things that the media has been hiding have turned out to be true and I don't take credit for this but now we're starting to hear some rumbles of hey there might have been nuclear weapons on that cruiser Moskva or Moscow that sank in the Black Sea well that's the first thing that a lot of people should have thought of not all just a month later gee willikers maybe it does I mean it's obvious and there's a salvage ship down there a Russian salvage ship you know hey face it face it they're not trying to you know recover uh, anything out of there except something important like that so there are a lot of things when you really read between the lines or you hear you know that get muffled or discounted a lot of those things are kind of coming coming true and I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying I don't think this is going to happen I don't think it's probable but I do think it's possible and I'm talking about we could be in another month we could be in World War three we don't know we don't know I do know one thing I do know one thing that our national government is probably not making sound decisions or understanding who they're dealing with um, you know the deal is we are fighting a proxy war with a, with a lot of NATO help, we're fighting a proxy war against a nuclear armed power that, um, you know, and, and there's no real definition for superpower, no real definition for regional power, I suppose. You can just kind of define them as you as you use those terms. But, you know, Russia has one of the largest, if not the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world. Now, what condition they're in, I don't know. Are they all usable? Hey, I don't know. But I know they have them. And uh, as you look at this whole Ukrainian situation, all you see is a series of bad decisions. And we are only one bad decision away from being in some sort of a problem that would totally disrupt our supply chain. I mean, if we thought COVID-19, COVID-19 might look like the good old days <laughs> compared to, hey, all of a sudden chemical weapons or, heaven forbid, even tactical nuclear weapons are being used in Europe. You know, that that's going to change the dynamic. It is going to be business as usual. And the shortages are going to be a lot more serious than um, toilet paper and Pop-Tarts. You know, COVID-19 was about toilet paper and Pop-Tarts. And gee, I can't get I can't get my uh, uh, my Xbox, you know, stuff like this. Now we're looking at something that could be far more serious. And the seriousness of it is that a lot of foodstuffs and a lot of agricultural type products and all these other things come out of that region. You know, they grow a lot of stuff. They make fertilizer that everybody uses. Now that we have this this wonderful global economy something like this can crack it wide open and uh it's it's going to be you know i i saw a statistic some years ago where it said and like during the great depression the average person's diet was grown within about 25 miles of where they lived you know most of the stuff you ate came from your local area now it's thousands of miles you know um even I remember as a kid, certain things had to be, quote, in season for you to get them. Now they just grow it in a different part of the world, and there's always a season, so you always have it. 
um, these types of things may go away and may get disrupted terribly so um, you know here's here's just some here's just some basic things I'm gonna say about that is that a proxy war is is going to is is becoming very very ugly and you know we're fighting a proxy a proxy war against a nuclear armed power that has an unstable head of government you know what could possibly go wrong I mean we have what could possibly go wrong and the answer is everything uh, we think that there are certain lines that people won't go past well if they go past them then what do we do what happens to us um, you know what would what would real shortages look like um, it would make the you know the George Floyd riots look pretty tame in comparison so and kind of thinking about that and I'm not saying this is going to happen I'm just saying there's probably a greater chance of it happening um, I think we're closer to nuclear war than we have been at any time in my lifetime and I hate to date myself but I'm as old enough I was alive when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened this is more serious than the Cuban Missile Crisis this is this is a bad bad thing and uh, it's about to get worse and more ugly and but I think it's gonna come to a resolution I don't see this going through the entire summer I see this coming to a resolution in maybe the next two months could be wrong could be this thing lasts for years but I don't think so uh, I think it's it's at a certain point it's going to it's going to end and how that ends I don't know whether Russia is satisfied with the land it has seized from the Ukraine and they basically say okay this is the new border now and everybody internationally can can like it or lump it it's that's the way it is kind of like they did with Crimea okay we got it like it or lump it okay they're gonna say that uh, could very well be that there's going to be a continuous insurgency where the Ukrainians are trying to get this conquered stuff back in which case it's bad politics to be supplying an insurgency um, but again we have a national government that makes bad decisions you know name a good decision that's been made since January 20th 2021 when a a just diminished capacity career politician is in charge of our government the guy who, the guy who turns around on stage to shake hands with nobody you know the guy who pooped himself in front of the Pope the guy who's you know on and on and on and on so you know name a good decision that's come out of the White House I, I don't think you can find one so we can only expect more bad decisions so that leads us to what what do we do how does this affect us because we can talk about the international situation all day long what you know would China still supply us with all our stuff and would coming across the Pacific still be okay could we make enough of our own energy that we could move stuff around and this wouldn't affect us very much who, who knows who knows all I know is is that the status quo could not possibly remain and things would get worse on some level somewhere somehow it would get worse so here's what I would here's kind of what I tell people you know this is this is my best advice within the next week uh, marshal whatever financial resources you can spare and I would go out I would go to Costco I would go to whatever discount outlet you can and I would buy some Kate depending on how big your family is buy some cases of canned food just buy it you know just if it's 500 bucks worth of canned vegetables canned spam buy it don't buy anything frivolous you don't you don't need uh, you know puddings <laughs> you don't need you don't need stuff like that I would buy probably some fruits some vegetables and protein that's what I would get canned get as much canned canned tuna fish canned everything because stuff if there's a power supply problem stuff in your fridge and freezer 
may not last that long. So the, you know, the 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 forty eight pack of corn dogs may not may not last you as as long as you think they will. So I would I would buy that stuff. I'd buy canned spam, canned tuna, canned whatever. I'd, I'd buy flats of you know dinty more stew you know i i'm facing it. a lot of this stuff nobody really wants to eat okay nobody really wants to eat it but you can get it it's comparatively cheap and i would go snag it up right now and i would have enough food on hand and, and again these aren't going to be real sumptuous meals but you know you need to be able to get by for about a month maybe three weeks to a month without a whole lot of outside stuff Another thing to do is, if you can find them, get those food grade barrels. And even if you store, if you get those things that are, uh, they're about 50 gallons, store 100 gallons of water, you know. Anything you can do. I, I think the water supply is actually, and again, I'm, I'm not making, making a recommendation that you should bank your life on, but a lot of water systems will, would still be going no matter kind of no matter what because that's just the way they're designed and the way they they uh, operate so you know you might still have water but there may be no food and no fuel and no anything anything else maybe no electricity to you but the the water is still working which would be a good thing so I would go out and get that stuff uh, if you have your and I assume most people who listen to this podcast have their stash of weapons and ammunition and, and all that good stuff. Now is the time to, um, you know, load the magazines. Now is the time to have a few loaded magazines. The ammo sitting in boxes and in crates and in ammo cans is, is great, but there comes a point where it needs to be put into a mechanism that will feed it into a firearm. And now is that time. And if you don't have that stuff, if you don't have that stuff, um, there's ammunition. It's expensive, but it's in the stores now. And you can go buy 5.56. Go buy an Anderson AR-15. We talked about that last podcast. Go buy it now. And, uh, you know, grab, grab some. There's still enough window of time to do this. A month from now, there may not be. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you this right now, you know, even though that the big box stores or whatever you want to call them have ammunition in them now, you know, the Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops and Shields and Academy and all these places, that stuff could dry up overnight. We've seen it before. We've seen it before. And uh, there's a lot of 5.56 in my local Cabela's, but there's no guarantee it's going to be there. Some if they had a run on it, that, that stuff would fly out of there because it, it did before. So it's reasonable to expect that it will again. So 9 mils in there. It's expensive, but it's there. Um, you know, other pistol calibers there. Hey, I saw some 40. Haven't seen any 45. I, I No, I take that back. I did see some 45 auto. few boxes, not that much. You know, if you're thinking of, if you have not yet bought a weapon, uh, it, you know what this is telling you. What this is telling you is if you've got to buy weapons now, which is really too late, but you may slip in under the wire, go get a 9mm pistol and go get a 5.56-223 AR-15 rifle. Those are the two things that you need. If you got a shotgun, that's great. If you got the rest of it, that's great. But those are the two things that, that really are non-negotiable at this point. And if you get a 9mm pistol, make sure you get magazines. So we got some questions coming up on that. But that's what I'd do. I'd buy food, a way to store water if you can, and uh, a 5.56 rifle and pistol. Because, hey, there could be a big disruption. You know, there could be a big disruption. And that's all I'm saying is we're close enough. Even if it does not develop into a full-blown World War III, we, we could, there could be some real problems. You know, NATO countries are pouring weapons into Ukraine, and it's only a matter of time before the Russians get PO'd at that. They don't like it already. There's only a matter of time before they're willing to say, hey, guess what, we're, we're just going to hit these guys so they stop. In which case, you're going to have combat in between NATO countries and the very bellicose Russia, and, you know, where does that all go? I don't know. 
Maybe it's just a few isolated incidents. Maybe it's something more widespread. But no matter what it is, it will, it will disrupt our supply chain. There's just no two ways about that. And we've seen what happens. You know, buy some medicine. Buy, if you were, if you were saying the last time, sure, sure would have been nice to have this or have that. Now's the time to get it. Uh, the window's closing. And you know me, I'm not a prepper. I'm not a prepper guy. I'm not the guy who does that. I'm not the guy who talks about that. As a matter of fact, I've made fun of preppers. I think that a lot of times they've, um, they kind of want to play special forces. You know, they kind of want to play special forces and not really look out after what they need to be looking at. Or they think they're going to be living on this isolated farmstead and no one is ever going to come out there and disturb them. You know, whatever whatever all that is. Um, I'm not a prepper, but I do believe that you have to have some things. And sometimes, you know, the difference between starving, you know, don't eat for three days and see how good you feel. Um, that, that can of dinty more or, you know... You know, the thing of the can of stag chili. It's going to look pretty good at the if you haven't eaten in three days. So uh, buy rice. Rice is good. You know, buy rice. It's, buy big bags of it if you can. Um, I realize and if nothing happens, you'll be stuck with all this stuff and you really won't want to eat it. But you could probably get rid of it in small... <laughs> Let's just say the best case, nothing happens, and you've got about 500 bucks of spam, rice, tuna fish, and <laughs> all that stuff. Well, you know, you can you can take it in lunches or something, and, and gradually get rid of it. You know, so I just wanted to uh, say that's that's kind of my best advice: have something, because starving is really not an option, and. Um, you know, defense is, is right there. FEMA will never tell you to have a gun, but but I will. That's it. Uh, another thing. You know, I went down to my Cabela's today. And this is just, just kind of showing how things have changed since 2019. 2019, my Cabela's was a, a great story. You go in there, large gun department, guns all over the place. Any kind of ammo you want. I could even buy... 38 Smith and Wesson, you know the old, the old cartridge, not 38 Special, but 38 Smith and Wesson. I could even find that in there. I think they even had 45 lo or uh, 38 Long Colt in there. They had all the variety of ammunition. They had this great big area sold all kinds of accessories, all kinds of things. Well, since COVID, and everybody's talking COVID, COVID, COVID. Well, since then, the, their gun department has shrunk. They don't even put used guns. They don't even have a used gun case anymore. They'd move those all into the what they call the gun library, which is where they overcharge for guns they think are really nice. But that's where all the used guns are now. They have like one rack out in front of it. And everything else is spread out. So it looks like there's guns in the case. But you go up there and there's really not as many. It's not like it was. Uh, the, all the accessories have been shrinking. Uh, now they've moved in stuff like, oh, you know, furnishings and, and uh, you know, throws, you know, those blankets that you got to cover yourself with when you watch TV that, that have a big, you know, stag deer on them or something. Um, they've got all kinds of that kind of cabin, you know, accent furniture or furnishings, um, all that kind of cutesy stuff. You know, all that has been intruding on the uh, um, gun department. They still have scopes. They still have this and that. But um, Cabela's, I don't know if it was the uh, buyout by Bass Pro Shops. But, you know, you go in there and they've moved boats and, and they've got ATVs and UTVs and all that kind of stuff in there now. And the gun department has been one of the areas. Either they don't have product or they're de-emphasizing it because it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So, uh, and good luck um, trying to find any, you know, they've got shotgun shells. I saw they had some 10 gauge and no 16 gauge. So if you got one of those, out of luck. Um, but the, you know, the whole thing is just kind of, the, guy, the people who work there are still nice. They don't have the selection of gun 
even just gun cases, you know, just the soft gun cases, um, they don't have the selection of that anymore. I, I can't figure out why. You know, we're, we're beyond kind of COVID, you know. I mean, factories are producing stuff again, and, and uh, a lot of this stuff, you know, is just still not available. So Cabela's is kind of going down. Now, last time I was at Shields and even Academy, they, they're still pretty good. They are still pretty good, but um, I think I'm just not sure if Bass Pro and, and Cabela's are really, I'm not sure they want to be in the game anymore, and they're acting like they don't want to. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, I did get some comments on talking about optics and the auxiliary pop-up iron sights. Um, some people had said, hey, didn't you forget about these new, new, new to me anyway, um, shake awake optics where they're off until you jostle them by picking them up or something else and then they they pop on i guess there's a mode where they can they can do that uh, i did not for i do know about those i did not really willfully omit them i'm just going to say that my most of my comments still apply so you can listen to that one just a quick recap in case the setting is not right and in bright sun you lose the reticle it's nice to have the pop-up sight or you lose the dot um, going back to the Cabela's today, you know, electronic things are always supposed to work fail safe 100% of the time. Well, I tried to check out at Cabela's today, and oh my God, you know, the register was goofed up. It wouldn't do this. When they finally had to take me over to another register, they couldn't redeem my club points, which was only about 13 or 14 bucks. But I was just sitting there going, hey, this is. You know, what if this was my optical sight, the electronics? This was all the electronics problems. And you can get problems with electronic sights. It should work, but it doesn't. It should shake awake, but it doesn't. And I've I've been doing a little bit of research, and there are some people that the shake away sights, shake awake sights work for. And there are other people who say, no, they're terrible. No, they, they don't work. So I think that... Uh, you know, depending on the make and the model, uh, there can be some different outcomes. And, you know, the other thing was, well, with certain endpoints, hey, you can keep them on for a year before you have to change batteries. Uh, that That is probably true. I'm one of those people who's paranoid about batteries. If they tell me the battery's going to last a year, I'm swapping it out at six months. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes those optimistic, those battery life things are optimistic. And maybe that's not counting for the fact that I live in a place that gets cold and snow. And, you know, sometimes it can get below zero. If I'm using it below zero, is it using power at the same rate as if I'm in 100 degree weather in the summer? And you know is the battery inside that's supposed to power it for a year is that affected by temperature very low temperature or even very high temperature also so i don't know um i just know that you know if they tell me it's going to last 12 months i'm probably changing the batteries at six so i i don't really know that and, and the other the other fear i have is you know is they may have that battery life and it may work but i don't know that anybody is genuinely tested them on a any more than anecdotal scale to see if these things work i mean do they burn out um i would expect the expensive aim points not to hey the hollow sun that's like a hundred bucks hey i don't know maybe it is and I, I told you last time i'm a value guy if the hollow sun optic even though it's made in china and i don't know that you know, and my problem with stuff made in China is is usually the design is good because they, they get the design. Usually the materials are pretty good, but it's usually QC um, issues with them. You know, eight out of ten are good and two of them are dogs, you know, whatever that whatever the breakdown is. But I, I'm sitting there going, yeah, it is the $100 hollow sun as good as the $500 aim point. Is it? I don't know because I don't know that anybody's really tested, but there's a lot of people saying, hey, you can use these and they're great. I will sit there and say that I'm sure that for shooting and for others, for a lot of things, they're probably very comparable, but leaving them on for a year, you may see the difference there. We just don't know, just don't know.
so I, I kind of like the idea of shake awake optics. Um, you know, the other thing about shake awake optics is if, if it's not one of these long battery life deals, you know, every time you move the gun, that's obviously going to turn it on for some period of time. So, you know, there you go. You're going to be continually using power unless it's sitting in your safe. Um, when you're like me and I'm moving the thing around, it's, it's going to be turned on even if it's inside a case. I assume they sense the movement and that, uh, um, you know, turns it on. So uh, we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that works. But, you know, it's right now the cool kids have that in five years from now, they'll be they'll have something else. And so I, I don't know that the or after using them for a few years, some other problem will emerge where they say, well, they, they sort of work, they sort of don't. And uh, who knows? Who knows? Okay, another question I had was, have you seen the suppressors on the uh, SIG M5 and NGSW, meaning next generation squad weapon? Every picture I've had, and I've only seen them in pictures, every picture I've seen has had a suppressor on it. Will that be general issue to the troops if it ever gets that far, which I, I have my doubts that it will. But let's just say in a perfect world that becomes the new you know standard service rifle and squad automatic weapon i would i would uh, be very surprised to see suppressors in mechanized infantry i would be very surprised i'd actually be surprised to see it in airborne infantry too you know that the problem is you know the things get banged how well can they tolerate getting banged around <laughs> that's going to be that's usually the uh, um, the test for how durable and reliable is it meaning how much can you bang it around and it still works so i don't know that you'll see a tremendous amount uh, of suppressors in actual use special operations guys probably a lot more so but but for the uh, uh, regular infantry and uh, um, anybody else who's issued these I, I don't think any conventional forces um, probably will not have that they would like to have it but they, I don't think they will uh, but I, I could be wrong but I, I don't think so I don't think so I think just the maintenance the durability you know all those kind of things kind of uh, how to get something else to clean um i i don't know that that's really gonna gonna help okay 28 gauge i was in cabela's and this was actually a guy who was with me he goes hey we're in cabela's and look at all this 28 gauge ammunition what's up with that and uh i thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about so I, I said, can I talk about your question on the podcast? He said, sure. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of, I've never seen a 28-gauge gun. I've actually never seen one. Now, maybe I've walked by them in in stores and, and not paid any attention to them, but um, I, I've never seen a 28-gauge shotgun. So it was amazing to me that they had all these 28-gauge shells. I assume that is a function of they started up the supply lines and somehow rather than making 16 gauge shells which are a lot more prolific they started making 20 28 gauge because um, I don't know of any new 28 gauge guns or anything that's out there so I assume it's just kind of a bubble that um, that emerged and maybe maybe it's a uh, maybe it's just an unusual situation but yeah if you looked at those if you looked at it you would say hey there are a lot of 12 gauges in the world there are a few 20 gauges there are a lot of 28 gauges <laughs> you know and there are very few 10 gauges they actually had some 10 gauge ammo i don't know if the 10 gauge is even uh that relevant anymore i know when they came out there's when in 12 gauge you can go two and three quarters which nobody really does anymore maybe maybe some upland bird guys but uh, two and three quarters then three inch magnum seems to be standard then I think they came out with a three and a half inch and I think that's mostly for the waterfowl guys the guys who are using the 10 gauge um, guns and that's that seems to be a more you know a lot more prolific but um, so I don't know if the 10 gauge is on its way to is becoming less popular or if there's some other use 
I always thought that a a good tactical gun with the right ammo in 10 gauge would be pretty awesome. Whether it's more awesome than 12 gauge or enough, or if it's if it's enough of a, pro, a jump in performance to make that uh, worthwhile, I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, but it would be very cool. Way back in the day, there used to be the Ithaca Mag-10 Roadblocker, which was supposedly a police 10-gauge. It, it never turned out to be really very... It was quite expensive, and it was made kind of to civilian shotgun standards, uh, meaning it had like an aluminum trigger guard, floor plate type of uh, situation, which, you know, police service is not as bad as the military, but its stuff still gets banged around, and those aluminum trigger guards got, got banged around and bent and distorted quite a bit. So they were never a... A super popular thing but the notion the the myth and the notion there and plus you know how good of a name is roadblocker man I mean that's you know like there, there are certain guns that have that great name Ithaca mag 10 roadblocker um, Remington 870 police you know Smith and Wesson model 28 highway patrolman you know there are certain guns that they, they can get that great uh, uh, name or nickname and and it just really works enfield jungle carbine you know it, it had the the roadblocker was definitely in the league with those but it just did not have the performance it never really turned out to be a uh, a tactical gun that anybody really wanted but it makes you wonder though about you know what kind of uh especially with a lot of modern thinking what kind of ammunition you could turn out in 10 gauge that would be very very cool uh I immediately think of flechette rounds, but, you know, that's, I don't think there's any of those out there. Okay, well, now we can actually go into at least an abbreviated part of um, questions and answers. And kind of hearkening back to the, uh, the beginning of the podcast, how many pistol magazines do I really need for a defense or a, a riot situation? And uh, that, that's that's a good question. And there's no easy answer. I would say the easy answer is you need at least two, because else why? <laughs> you, you may as well carry a revolver if you don't have two, I guess. Just kidding around. Obviously, you, you want a second magazine so you can do a, a rapid reload. Um, how many do you need beyond that? It depends whether it's a primary weapon or if it's a secondary sidearm secondary to your rifle you can probably get away with two or three you know one in the gun and two in pouches or or some sort of a arrangement so you can get them if you're carrying a rifle and if you're carrying it as a let's just say that there's some weird situation where you can't really carry or conceal a long gun um, I would carry a whole bunch I'd carry as many as I could get away with and maybe that's five or six you know, and maybe they're not all totally readily accessible, but maybe there's some uh, some ones in a backpack somewhere that you can you can get at, if that's the only gun you can carry. So, I would say get as many as you can in in one way because you're going to be practicing with them, and they do wear out. They wear out a lot faster than the gun does. So, um, you know, if you drop them or step on them or something, or you may find. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that nobody really talks about testing magazines very much. But some magazines, depending on the manufacturer, and you can't always get OEM magazines, um, some of the ones are better than others. I witnessed the Beretta in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, where they got those Checkmate magazines that a lot of people didn't like. But actually, I, I've got a bunch of them. They, they work fine. As long as they're clean, they work, they work fine. And... and uh, um, I did not have a problem with it, but again, that's a. If you look at a Checkmate magazine, you look at a Beretta magazine, you can see the obvious difference in finish. Uh, no base pad on it. Um, a whole bunch of other things that that make it look and operate a little bit different. Um, a little bit different. No base pad, and you know, so you you have to realize that there can be a quality differential in uh, in magazines so same thing goes with rifle magazines a little bit too although I will say the Checkmate M14 magazines were indistinguishable from the uh, 
original M14 magazines, except for a couple markings, but they were uh, they were actually very very good and excellent magazines. Okay, here's the next question, and actually I've answered that already in the podcast, but I'll just go over it real quick. What rifle should I buy today? Uh, I go go grab an Anderson AR-15 and some surplus mags, and you know do it do it today. If you <laughs> if you need if you don't have a defensive rifle, um, I would not even finish listening to this podcast. I would go and find one and buy it. That's what I would do. Uh, what shotgun should I buy? Um, I would say, uh, you know, for a person who's not used to, if you don't own a shotgun already, you cannot go wrong with a, uh, a pump shotgun. It, it is possible to short stroke them, but I think most people don't really have that problem. So um, you might want to practice it a little bit and uh, you'll be okay but a good pump shotgun is a great shotgun to have and uh, you know it's it'll get the job done so that's what I would get all right what is the best 556 ammo for self-defense there's a lot of different stuff out there anything for hunting would work I've seen 45 grain you can shoot that in an AR-15. Um, my first choice is 55 grain FMJ because they it works in all AR-15s. It works in all of them, and it's accurate in all of them, and it works. Um, anything with a soft point on it, you could potentially they could potentially hang up. So I I like the F, anything FMJ. Um, the 62 grain uh m855 is out there but i would be a little depending on the guns you have and you got to know the twist rate you really got to have the one in seven or one in eight or one in nine twist rate for that the one in 12 twist rate really won't work so uh you know the the five five six works in everything um 55 grain works in everything so that's what i would get so that's the best. Plus, it has good terminal performance. It's, you know, a little high velocity, higher velocity than the um, 62 grain stuff. So I think it's good. The match grade stuff is great if you have a rifle that that can uh, utilize that. That's that's a great thing. Um, yeah. So, but I would, I like the, uh, I like the 55 grain 556. And I have no real problem with the lacquered or the steel cases. Some of them have lacquer, some of them don't. Um, the lacquered ones, I think, have all been gone. I mean, that was that was something like 20 years ago that that was that was it, and that was to keep rust, keep them from rusting. Obviously, some people thought that built up in the chamber in the gun and created a gooey mess. I never found any of that to be a problem. Uh, I found that the steel 5.56 all worked reasonably well. I don't think I had a single problem with it. Um, and I think I've only seen one dud round from, uh, that was the Tula or Tull ammo. I've only seen one dud round. I didn't actually fire it. Uh, an acquaintance of mine did at a match. So I think that was, uh, uh, yeah, so that, that's what I would go with. I mean, if you can get the steel stuff, I think it's fine. I, I prefer the brass, but... You know, if the steel's around, I, I could use that too. So, anyway, that's the best 5.56 ammo I think of. Next is what is the best 9mm ammo for self defense? That gets a little stickier because I, what I'm going to say is going to be controversial to some people, anyway. Most people who work a 9mm who are not police, who use a 9mm, use FMJ. And that's if they're military contractors or, or whatever else. Most of the ones I know have used and recommend using FMJ because of its reliability. 9mm pistols are very reliable. Some of the ammo is very, very reliable, especially some of the uh, high-performance ammo. I think a lot of times people use FMJ because they're used to it in the military and that's what they use. Um, I will say in my Beretta 92, 
I use hollow points and I've never had a problem with it feeding hollow points but everybody's gun is a little different if I had to make if I was just if I went into a gun store and bought a nine millimeter without having tested it with the type of hollow points or um, enhanced performance rounds that are available if you can even find those I would just grab FMJ and say you know Allah, whatever happens happens I've got a good gun I've got reliable ammo that's where I'm gonna go the other good part of that is most of those guns are fixed sight and they are in fact um, fixed sight for usually the 124 grain FMJ that's just that's just the reality so that's that's what I would use that's what I would use uh, I don't think I would uh, want to go with anything more exotic without without testing it and having confidence in it or I'd buy a mixture anyway so I could always go back to the uh, nine millimeter the nine millimeter is not cheap now uh, the days of sub ten dollars a box nine millimeter I'm afraid are gone um, you know I think I saw 100 rounds for $34 and that was herders and I don't even know if that was steel or or um, brass cased so 9mm is not cheap but at least it's available at least it's available so you know it, it shows you that um, you know years ago when I started a couple years ago when I started this podcast I said that it, you know if you're an outdoorsman and you live in kind of a you know rural area or whatever a good gun to have was the Ruger convertible Blackhawk 38 357 in one cylinder and 9 millimeter in the other you know that was a darn good gun to have because you can use three types of ammo and like right now I don't see too much through 38 or 357 but boy I do see a lot of 9 millimeter and that's a that's a good thing that's a good thing um, conversely year, some years ago I did buy a convertible Blackhawk in um, 45 long cold 45 ACP and you know that's a, that's a nice gun too because you can't find 45 long Colt right now you can't find it but you can find some 45 ACP. Not much, but there's some out there. So if you don't hand load, uh, you can definitely, you know, it's nice having those options. Those those revolvers are, um, are really nice. Really, really nice. Um, you could, if you had one of the old Buckeye specials, that was the Blackhawk in 3840 and 10 millimeter, if you had those you could get another cylinder you know you have to pay somebody to do this it's not going to be cheap get a third cylinder for 40 Smith and Wesson and you know you could you could then do three calibers but they're all three 40 Smith and Wesson is still findable but 10 millimeter is hard to find and 3840 is very difficult to find and expensive when you do so you know that's not nearly the good option that the 357 38 and 9 millimeter um blackhawk is and the other part about that is the the blackhawk only needs two cylinders because 38 and 357 share the same one 40 smith and wesson and 10 millimeter cannot even though they're very close in dimensions the length of the cartridge and the way they headspace prevents them from being used in the same cylinder so that's that's actually too bad that's actually too bad but there's no no way around that just can't change the design to make that work okay here's another question have you seen the rifle shooter magazine article um 6.5 Creedmoor versus 260 Remington and if so what do you think well I think the the article was spot on it basically a lot of people get all emotionally involved in the 6.5 Creedmoor which I don't understand because it's it's just another rifle cartridge and it does what it's designed to do very well a lot of people are well this is better than that and they want to prove that there's something out there better 
for its intended purpose than the 6.5 Creedmoor. And, and the fact of the matter is they can't find that. Um, so they're trying to push the 260 Remington. I know I'm on a couple of discords and things where people push the 260 Remington. And while the 260 Remington has value, and it certainly had great antecedent um, in the 308-762 NATO uh, cartridge, um, it's, it's basically a dog because it's designed, it's, it's, it's an old-fashioned design. And what I mean by that is the neck is short, the shoulder angle is more gentle, and it was ne and the rifles were never optimized to take the new very low drag, very optimized long-range bullets in 6.5. So it fails on those three, three areas. So what its proponents will generally point out is well, it has a slightly greater case capacity, therefore you get slightly higher velocity, therefore it's better. The fact of the matter is, though, it doesn't shoot the right bullets. It's not designed to take the long-range bullets that can optimize that. And in fact, you know, they've done practical tests, and the case capacities aren't that different. It's like one grain, and the velocity gain from that... Um, in the six in the 260 Remington is is marginal and it loses that because the bullet isn't efficient enough to to maintain that and utilize that so if you want a, a 6.5 cartridge that fits in a uh, kind of a short action gun and you're gonna shoot it out to 300 yards six there's nothing wrong with 260 Remington nothing wrong with it if you want to shoot longer than that and the, the ballistics tables bear this out um, 6.5 Creedmoor out to a thousand yards kicks the 260 Remington's butt. So, you know, the 260 Remington just has a, a more arched trajectory, and there's nothing they can do about that. Um, <clears throat> theoretically, you could put together if you took a 6.5 Creedmoor barrel with a one, you know, and, and, and it goes down to the barrels have the wrong twist rate. They probably don't have enough lead. I mean, if you took a 260 Remington, maybe put it in a a one in eight twist instead of a one in nine or one in ten twist, um, you might be able to improve it. But you still have that problem of the neck is very short, so it's not going to be optimized for those longer bullets. And and why reinvent something that's already invented? 6.5 Creedmoor is already optimized. If you want a 6.5 cartridge that shoots very flat has modest recoil and is very accurate you have that in the 6.5 Creedmoor um, there's no sense inventing it reinventing it in another cartridge that has some aspects to it that are less than optimal so the other thing I would say is the testing and everything has already been done for you because US SOCOM in 2019 decided that they would adopt 6.5 Creedmoor and they would convert their M10 sniper rifles to it because uh, they they tested like god I can't remember what it was 20 cartridges 20 21 cartridges whatever the number was it, it escapes me right now maybe it was maybe it was slightly less than 20 maybe it was 19 cartridges for their sniper some of their sniper rifle needs and essentially they they tested 260 Remington and they chose 6.5 Creedmoor over all of them including the 260 Remington so there you go I mean you can trust US SOCOM or you cannot now some of the discord servers that I'm on for for hand loading and other things there are some hard heads that don't get it um, you know the other thing I will say is there's no sense in going to 6.5 Creedmoor if you're not going to shoot longer ranges. I mean, um, I personally am a 308 7.62 NATO guy, 7.62 by 51, 308 Winchester. Uh, I think that is an outstanding cartridge, and I think out to 300 yards, and maybe yeah, I'd give it out to 400 yards. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliantly accurate. It's brilliantly hard-hitting. Um, it's a great cartridge. It still is. Um, 
why did I go to 6.5 Creedmoor? Well, I, I wanted something that was flatter to shoot. And I don't, I don't like having to do trajectory calculations. Um, and if I do, and if I have that, that kind of dope, I want to put as, as little of that on a scope as I can. <clears throat> so I really wanted a flat shooting, very accurate cartridge, and 6.5 Creedmoor gave that to me. Now, you know, at the risk of being called a fanboy and all this other stuff, um, it depends what I'm doing. Um, would I want a 6.5 Creedmoor FNFAL? The answer is no. But I can tell you my own testing, and, and really, I don't really reach out beyond 400 yards very, very often or very much, simply because of range limitations. But, you know, I, I enjoy that, the ability to hit something at that range without doing a lot of complex calculations. And I really like the tight groups I get from the rifles. I mean, uh, 6.5 Creedmoor is very, very accurate. And it's one of those rare calibers that shoots very well with anything from hunting ammunition to match ammunition. Um, I mean, you might see some difference, but you're not going to see a huge difference. It's going to shoot well with all that stuff. Um, it just does. There are, some, there are some cartridges that do that. Uh, in pistols, I've always found that 44 Magnum is that way. Whether you have light loads or heavy loads, it, it shoots very, very well. And, uh, you know, you get about the same grouping. Now, I, I'm sure that with some of the hunting loads for 6.5 Creedmoor, you're, you're not going to get the long-range groups, but that's okay. You'll get something that'll be, that'll be respectable. The other thing about 6.5 Creedmoor is why is it so popular with hunters? I think part of it is the accuracy, and I think another part of it is the, you know, it's 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 not overkill. Uh, a lot of hunters like to go, you know, if you're shooting a white-tailed deer with some of the some of the big boomers out there, you're you're probably into overkill. There's something nice about having accurate a balance of accuracy, power, and modest recoil. That appeals to a lot of people, especially if you've got lighter weight guns that you're you're trekking up and down hills. Um, it's a very attractive package for that. So and I'm not saying that the 260 Remington is bad. I'm just saying that you know it's kind of been overcome. It it's kind of the it's kind of the 222 Remington Magnum of of today. 222 Remington Magnum was a great cartridge. It did everything it was supposed to do. There was nothing wrong with it. But frankly, 223 Remington eclipsed it because of availability because of loads because of the rifles that it came in it didn't offer enough of a performance advantage to justify it staying around because nobody really wanted it i mean nobody really wanted it they <clears throat> it, it 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 left the scene and no one lamented its passing a 260 remington may wind up the same way it may very well wind up the same way um you know the the argument, the problem with all the cartridges built off of the 308 Winchester is that they have shorter necks, and that was the you know that's just the design that it was back then. 243, seven millimeter 08, now 260 Remington, and 308 Winchester have comparatively short necks. And that was to keep the cartridge compact. There was a reason reason for that to keep the cartridge compact. Uh, for hunting rounds, that's no big. That's nothing. That's 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 actually smart. That's actually somewhat of an advantage in, in many ways. But um, for using the modern bullets that have come out in the last, you know, 15, 18 years, um, the 6.5 Creedmoor was a design that was specifically optimized to use those those bullets. So that's that's kind of where we are. But yeah, the, the Rifle Shooter magazine... Um, I have a copy of it, but not really within reach. Uh, it is an exceptionally good... I, I thought it was going to be garbage. When I started reading it, I'm like, oh no. This is another imbecile who's going to say the extra 50 feet per second is going to make all the difference in the world. But it was not. It was actually a um, really, really well done article that, that, that hit the logic exactly right. And it also confronted the myth that the... Uh, um, 6.5 Creedmoor is inferior 
at longer range to the 260 Remington. That is a myth. It is actually superior and markedly superior. So yes, I did see that. And yes, that is my uh, assessment of it. Okay, here's another question. Have you received any blowback from your comments on the 6.8 by 51 slash 277 Fury? Well, not really. Um, you know, it's it's hard to, and, and I said all this stuff in the last podcast, and I, I really think that, you know, that's that's probably the best place to, to go to, to listen to it, but you know, I think I think the issues are, are still there. I think the first the first and foremost issue is what is that? What is the overriding reason to have the cartridge? And the answer is obviously they talked about armor body armor penetration. Um, okay, body armor isn't everywhere yet. You go to Africa, there's no body armor. You go to a lot of places, there's no body armor. Um, and the body armor that we have that everyone has has got limitations. You can't encapsulate someone in their own little cocoon of body armor where they're invulnerable to small arms from every angle. It just doesn't happen. Um, Most body armor that I see is basically a Kevlar vest, like a flak jacket, that's got a place where a plate can go in the front and the back. And there are some that have side plates, you know. The value of those, I'm not sure. but there's a lot of your body that's exposed that is not covered by armor uh, that will stop a bullet. And I know when I was in Iraq, the plates we had were um, would allegedly stop a ball M80, which is a 7.62 by 50. One round, the regular round, not armor piercing or any kind of a penetrator, but just the the regular ball ammunition, which is a lead core with a full metal, you know, gilding metal jacket. So, um. You know, and it would stop that. Theoretically, it would also stop a 762 by 54 r bullet that was of the same construction because they are approximately the same. Not not exactly, but approximately the same. So we, we had that armor. And I mean, that's, you know, that's covering your vitals. But your your arms, your legs, your head, you know, the, the Mitch helmet that we had, the advan- or ACH, the Advanced Combat Helmet, and even the older Kevlars would not stop a rifle round. They they will pretty much stop a pistol round. And they have been known to stop rifle rounds, but they're not guaranteed to do that. Uh, that's that's sometimes just an anomalous uh, thing that happens. Um, so, that you know, there's no such thing as a complete set of body armor. So if body armor penetration is all that important, then they've obviously have selected a weapon that can defeat... Um, all the body armor you can think of because it's going to operate at 80,000 PSI. It's probably going to have a, a fairly heavy bullet over, um, I'm thinking 130, 140 grain bullet over 3,000 feet per second. And it's probably got some sort of a penetrator or some sort of a an insert inside it that um, is going to sail right through at that velocity body armor. So. There you go. So if that's if that's what it is, that's what it is. Um, the nice part about 762 by 51 and it's obviously uh, child the 6.8 by 51 is that they can um, you know feed in machine guns quite well. The 6.5 Creedmoor has just enough taper that I know that when they were thinking about a machine gun for that, they knew they they surmised that there would be a problem with the rounds kind of backing out of the belt um, of the disintegrating links. So, you know, be, be all that as it may, um, the very straight 7.62 NATO 6.8 by 51 casing um, is going to be better suited for machine guns. So that's a good thing. The other thing I say is we're going back to what is effectively a battle rifle cartridge. That is a step backwards. Um, 20 round magazines are a step backwards um, and a heavier gun is a step backwards a heavier rifle is a step backwards you know squad automatic weapon can kind of weigh more it, it just can because that's that's the nature of the beast it has to be more robust it has to have some goodies on it so it can feed from a belt and, and do a few other things um, needs a bipod that's fixed on it um, so I would say that, uh, um, 
you know, that, that can be whatever it is. And maybe we just have, maybe we get rid of 762 NATO and just have 556 and 6.8. I don't know. Maybe they'll do that. But I don't, I don't see it becoming a general issue weapon, just for the, all the reasons that I, that I said. Nor do I see the sound suppressors, a.k.a. silencers, that you see on all the pictures and everything. I don't see that going out to the conventional units. Um, I see that as a special mission accessory that uh, you know special operations forces will use. Uh, your average guys running in and out of Bradley's, they're, I don't think they're going to have it. I just I think it's too expensive, and I think it's also you know too frail. You know something like that can get crunched, misaligned. You know I mean I'll, any kind of bad thing that can happen in that heavy equipment uh, environment. You know they always will say, well you know soldiers can break anything. You know blah blah blah. It's not that soldiers are willfully breaking it. It's that soldiers, especially infantry soldiers operate in a harsh environment it's hard on people it's hard on equipment and if stuff isn't top-notch um it, it's not going to make it there's a reason that the m1 rifle is as robust and solid and and durable as it is you know that was not a coincidence um that was not just hey we just designed a rifle and here it is and, and you know what the the people who adopted weapons back in those days say you know after world war one up through the 1960s they understood durability they understood the you know they were veterans in many cases of things of uh, normandy landings or beach landings in the pacific um airborne operations all these things you know your your weapon can hit some Things get slammed around, especially think about airborne operations. You know, I mean, things get banged around and they have to be durable. And um, I, I don't know that a suppressor hanging on the end of your rifle or your light machine gun, which is essentially what a squad automatic weapon is, uh, is going to be very durable or reliable. And it also adds, yet again, another level of complexity of something else you have to adjust and we're starting to get these weapons very very complex and I think this has been as a result of the global war on terror where we went out on operations that were fairly short duration and came back you know we weren't fighting for a Pacific Island for two months we weren't fighting like in Ukraine I mean I don't know would with the people holding out in that steel plant in the Ukraine or anywhere else, would they would they find a suppressor to be particularly useful? And I would say that you're you're probably not. the The only people that are going to have them are special mission forces who have to have, um, you know, they're, because they're doing surreptitious operations. Uh, they're going to go in and they they need to be as quiet as possible. So maybe for them it has a benefit, but for Guys on the perimeter, um, I just don't see the suppressor as being uh, something key. I think they're putting it all on it to look cool, and, and, and that's it. This weapon could very well wind up being just like the Mark 23 SOCOM pistol, you know, that anti-tank pistol that they came out with, a 45 caliber giganto thing made by HK. It had all kinds of accessories, you know, and the fact of the matter is nobody used it. You know, nobody's really used it because, you know, its mission set was too specific, you know, and not to just go into all that, but, uh, you know, I just think it's too, too, uh, um, it's much too specific. We, we talked about a lot of the other things, you know, I think another thing that can happen is, you know, 556, a lot of people would like to say, well, it's been improved as much as it can, but really has it, really has it. Um, you know, if it doesn't have a long enough range, I mean, we have figured out how to make longer range 5.56 ammunition, and in fact, we use it. So I don't know that the 5.56 is completely dead, and I, I doubt that this uh, 277 Fury will, will replace it. I, I think they're going to find out that the heating problems if indeed they do have 80,000 PSI, and if indeed they are launching 130 and 140 grain bullets past 3,000 feet per second, um, 
laws of physics don't change. They're going to have overheating and other problems. So that's what I think about that. I uh, just wanted to tell you, I kind of recorded this podcast in two sections. Uh, my allergies have been kicking my butt. You can kind of tell I'm a little, little gaspy. And I do clear my throat occasionally. I apologize for that. Um, this is the worst time of year for allergies, and I, I get them, and, and um, you know, it's it's no fun. So um, anyway, I do apologize for that. And, you know, if you have any comments or questions, you can always send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, and I will be sure to answer them uh, uh, the next next go-round when I do one of these. But until then, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>